This is Joe Leach with Leverton. Um, and today um, we are having, we have the pleasure of having uh, Brian, who's one of the leaders over at MRI, uh, joining us uh, for our uh, monthly podcast. Um, so I uh, wanted to, you know, thank Brian. You know, first off, thank you for, for joining the call and taking the time today. Um, and looking forward to having this discussion with you. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Um, Brian Zrimzik with MRI Software, industry principal. I've been with the company a little over three years. I've uh, been in real estate for about 15 years now, uh, real estate, real estate technology. And I'm um, happy to kind of go through this conversation with you today. Awesome. Thanks, Brian. And uh, this is Joe Leach. I am a VP of sales for North America for, for Leverton. Um, so uh, starting out, Brian, um, I think one of the first questions, you know, I wanted to ask, um, I understand that you've, you know, been in real estate for uh, quite a long time in uh, software, um, for about 25 years, as I understand it. Um, and, uh, I think we all know that, you know, real estate hasn't always been, you know, a company or a industry that adopts technology like some others. Uh, so curious to hear, you know, from your perspective over the years, um, how have you seen the real estate technology landscape change? Um, and did you anticipate uh, the scale of growth that we've seen over the last couple of years? Sure. So I think uh, in my career spans, uh, before my time in real estate, I was also doing enterprise software and manufacturing. And I've been in that arena, enterprise software, my entire career, which is I guess longer than I'd care to admit these days. But um, in the beginning of enterprise software, I mean, I was building software, custom packages, custom software back in the day when package software started to come to be. And package software then became adopted as a more uh, cost-effective uh, standard. You know, I don't need to be in the software development business if I'm a from an organization, I can focus on what I do. I can focus on real estate, not on software. And um, the, you know, it was it rooted around accounting, uh, especially in real estate accounting, job costing, uh, which is another form of accounting, uh, tracking leases, right, collecting, uh, paying the bills, paying the people. And uh, that was kind of the status quo. I mean, you know, for a long time. And yeah, there were things that would pop up. And I think with the um, the real emergence of the internet and then the ability to provide self-service capabilities continued to blossom kind of in the, you know, in the mid, early to mid 2000s, we started to see um, companies show up that would allow you to go online and, and pay your rent, to go online and submit a work order, to go online and understand what's available uh, in an apartment community or even in a, you know, office or a retail complex. And uh, those technologies, very much consumer-facing, right? The B2C part of, of commercial real estate, which has really manifested itself mostly for us in the apartment, in the residential space, kind of led the way there and because clients demanded it, because the clients' clients demanded it. Uh, and now that has come to the commercial side. We're seeing more adoption of similar kind of portals where tenants can go online and understand what their lease looks like. They can see what their balance is. They can pay their bill. So I think it's kind of the real estate's followed. They've followed the kind of general trend that we've seen from kind of monolithic um, mainframe software through client server, now web-based. Um, 
but they've, um, I think traditionally did a lot of things that were paper based, um, and also relationship based and Mm -hmm. replacing some of that with, um, with technology. It's harder. It's change management, right? And folks that are in this space and they've been in it for a long time, you know, they kind of have how they want to do things and giving them new tools uh, is sometimes a little more challenging. And as, you know, the workforce dynamics shift, those entering the workforce want to make use of better mobile technologies. They, they don't want work to be the place they go to use old stuff, if you will. Right. So um, I think, you know, that to, to sum that piece up really that over the time of my career and my time in real estate, it's really been the, the, the similar curve of adoption um, just kind of taken a bit later, but still taken. Right. And, um, and we still see lots of folks adopting and embracing new technologies today. And do you see uh, the, the current, you know, curve and upscale kind of trajectory for real estate technology? Do you see that um, increasing um, into like the next few years? What, what do you think like is next uh, as far as real estate technology goes? So I, I still think there are, if, if folks look and examine their business practices, I would venture to say, and we just did a survey that, you know, some high percentage of uh, real estate organizations rely upon spreadsheets to enable part of their business practices. And I think, yeah. you know, folks need to look at when that happens and understand why. And, and, and instead of taking that as this is how we do it, this is how we've always done it, we take the data from that system, we put it in this spreadsheet so we can report it over there. Um, we look for answers to those problems and not just accept that as the way that it is. That may have been the way it needed to be when you implemented your software 5, 10, 12 years ago. But things advance. And often what happens is clients don't make best use of all the advancements after the deployment of the software. I use this analogy of, you know, the when you implement enterprise software, it's kind of like starting with a giant lump of clay if you're a sculptor. And you carve away stuff that you don't need or you don't know you need. Um, or actually what would be then there later with a future release. And you, you make use of what you've sculpted. You make use of the configuration of the software that you put in place. And it's rare, at least in the first five to eight years probably, that you think about maybe some of those decisions that you made need to be updated, need to be changed. Maybe there's new capabilities, new features that could replace some of those spreadsheets, right? So. I think there's opportunities for that, and I still think there are plenty of opportunities for folks to take on new technologies, to try new things, uh, whether that's in automating, um, you know, CRM-type activities, all the way to, you know, instrumentation of buildings, the Internet of Things, the smart building, the, you know, artificial intelligence to help us, you know, better manage things like that. There's a there's a wide spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, with all technology, it has to have value. And I think in some areas, it's easy to find value. In other areas, maybe it's less mature. And maybe you want to do some piloting and see if you can drive value um, by adopting something before any of your competitors do. Definitely. Uh, speaking to, you know, the relationship nature of the real estate industry, um, and you've had a lot of experience, not just working in real estate, but in other enterprise software businesses. 
do you see um, you know a business where you know a lot of decision making and agreements were made you know on napkins at like a bar after after work between you know two executives? Do you see that going away? Um, or do you do you think that you know real estate is going to follow suit with a lot of the other industries, which is a lot more around solution um, sales and you know around really catering to you know a client's you know, specific needs rather than just you know whoever is like you know the, the best golf buddy, so to speak. Right. So part of it, I think, is a it's a generational question, right? And I think you know the folks that have done business a certain way. And uh, on both sides, on both the the broker side as well as the you know the, the tenant side, um, they're going to continue to do business how they like to do business. Hopefully, with different demographics coming into the workplace, the napkin can be replaced with an iPad. Right. And it's still <laughs> done at the golf course, right? Um, yeah. But you know, relationships are important in all businesses, and I think what we can do now is do a better job at keeping track of information. Um, and understanding, you know, key touch points and, and trying to holistically serve a client and not just be focused on the deal. And I think that, uh, you know, the newer folks that are going into the workforce, the digital natives, if you will, are, you know, they expect to have these tools at their disposal. Um, I can remember uh, visiting apartment communities and um, we had done everything we could to provide information to uh, the leasing staff and this one guy was carrying his own iPad because he had other stuff that he wanted to use to help sell apartments and that was great and that was for me a clue that well, we needed to go do more work to bring that capability to everybody because if it's helped him lease more apartments it could help more people lease more apartments so you know and that's a young end of the workforce right uh, leasing consultants in yeah. an apartment uh, apartment community yeah, so you've touched on, um, you know, like the digital native and the millennial generation quite a bit. Is there any, um, you know, kind of secret sauce, you know, for you or MRI generally as far as, you know, thinking ahead and as, you know, that generation, you know, comes into its own and, and really becomes the uh, decision makers uh, in the industry uh, that you guys are, are ready and, and have, uh, you know, have catered to their needs and, and the things that they sure. want, which are different from the past? Yeah, so I think there's a couple elements that we have in play that I think, you know, most folks would be trying to do with their products. One is, you know, when you're dealing with the millennial as customer, right, so especially, again, in the multifamily or in the, the residential space where the folks that are renting apartments, they, they don't want to come into the leasing office and have a conversation if they don't have to, right? They, they're happy to do it from their phone and do what from their yep. phone? pay their rent, right, put in a work order request, see if there's any activities going on, uh, you know, add a locker, a, a storage unit to their to their lease, renew their lease, all these things that in the past you might expect traffic in the leasing office. More and more, the millennials, and I think this shows up in some of the, the survey work we did as well, th that's just not what they're after. Um, they want to be able to do those kind of activities from wherever they are, whenever they want to. Even something like packages, right? Packages are a big issue in, in multifamily today. Um, it's with the rise of, you know, uh, Amazon and others. Uh, it's a big problem because the packages are delivered to the office, not to the unit. But the, the folks that are, you know, the millennials, they don't want to have to be home by a certain time to pick up a package. 
So there's a variety of different solutions that have been popping up in the marketplace. We have one. There's locker systems out there. We have a more we have the ability to deliver into the unit. We, we're going to have to bring those services to bear to meet the need. Now that's for the the millennial as the customer. The millennial as the employee. I think a couple things. Um, we've we've added a feature into our products. This it, it basically navigationally it starts with search. So most enterprise software you you utilize you show up and you log in and you're given a menu and you have to pick from the menu down to the screen to the activity you want to do then you have to find the record right so if you wanted to enter a purchase order for you know i'm going to talk about snow because it's been snowing here in cleveland uh if you needed a po to get somebody to come plow your your parking lots um you would go into the enter purchase order screen and you would find that snow removal vendor and you would create a PO and then you would send it to them and they would provide services and then you would pay them. Well, what if you could just type in the word snow in a search field like you do on Google or like you do on Amazon and then you're presented with any major element from the database that has that word in it and then from there, very context sensitively, you can then get to that same purchase order screen. But in this case, you typed in the word snow, you picked Joe's snow removal, and on the purchase order screen, it was already populated with Joe's snow removal, and all you had to do is type in the amount. So it's a different paradigm for navigating through enterprise software. It starts with search. It starts with information that folks already have. Um, uh, we, we call it MRI Go, and the tagline we have for it is start with what you know and then go. And what we mean by that is you start with the information you have, the fact that you need snow removal, and you type that in, and then here are all the people who have that capability, and then that takes you to the purchase order entry page and away you go. Same thing for finding out, you know, what when leases expire, you know, who your leads are in the system, uh, who's applied, um, what work orders are outstanding. Every element of the software is available to you through an alternate navigation. And I think the other thing we're doing, again, millennials, you know, you typically write that they're mobile device based. So we need to do better at bringing the mobile experience to enterprise software. And not every page in enterprise software is going to be able to be optimized for use right on an iPhone, right? You can't go through right. a multi-line, you know, purchase order header line detail with multiple fields. Like it's just, it's not going to be a great experience on a mobile device, but no. many of them can be at the same time. And instead of reports, we need to start getting more graphical. We need to bring data, bring it to life. We need to find the exceptions in the data so that people can take action more quickly, right? No more wall of numbers, right? More a presentation of here are the outliers. Here are the things that need your attention. So kind of a combination of things, but uh, kind of pervasive in how we think about software and how clients and the client's clients want to use software and different solutions to meet those business needs. Yeah, one of the one of the funny things about I think real estate is the nature of it, um, especially with things like IoT, is that real estate is really well positioned to leverage you know some of these newer technologies like Internet of Things, um, you know, to help power new building management systems and the like. Um, do you think, um, as as you guys think about IoT and as you see the industry progressing, that uh, the, that we're ready for that sort of transformation in real estate um, and to, to take on um, you know, enterprise-wide enterprise adoption of something like that? 
So I think this gets back to what I mentioned earlier about, you know, the value or the business case. So, you know, to do it for its own sake, it's never going to fly. To do yeah. it to cut the consumption of water um, for, you know, keeping the landscaping up up to snuff, to do it to manage HVAC based on building occupancy. When I use occupancy in that term, I mean like how many physical bodies are in the building, to turn mm-hmm. lights on or off when people enter or exit conference rooms. Um, I think those kind of things where we can create a tangible reduction in consumption, I think we'll start to see some savings. But, you know, I don't know that having, you know, internet-connected refrigerators is going to do us a lot of good, right? Um, yeah. There's there's a lot of IoT that's kind of targeted at the home consumer, um, but I think it's the it, what you mentioned, building automation, getting smarter, uh, and it's really about consumption, energy, water, you know, um, to, to make those buildings most efficient. That'll draw a certain clientele in and of itself. The investment, you know, is interesting because, uh, yeah. and, and, and this will get better over time as wireless mesh networks become more powerful. You still have to do a lot of work to instrument a building, right? Yeah. Um, you still have to do a lot of work to get a network that's pervasive and consistent that can capture all that data. And then you need something to find the signal in the noise, right? Because if you're just going to stream data, it's going to overwhelm you, right? So how do I find the nugget in there that says, yes, this is the right thing. I saw one of our clients do a presentation and they had a, it was a, a day, the day of the eclipse, I think it was, and they could, they could see how people left the building for lunch and came back after lunch, then left the building for the eclipse. And in a normal case, their HVAC systems would have kind of been tuned to the on at 6 a.m., off at 5 p.m. kind of thing. And in this model, they're able to understand how many people are in the building and really kind of ramp it closely so that instead of it appearing to be more, if you look at the graph, a step function, right, very binary, on or off, uh, it was really variable. And the curves of physical occupants of the building were matched by the curve of energy needed to keep the building at the temperature that was targeted. So kind of an interesting way to use that. And and to do that, they're going to save money. And if they save money, those kind of things will pay for themselves. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's it's interesting with um, with the Internet of Things how, like you said, I mean, it can be an overwhelming amount of data that you're capturing. So you need to really hone in on, you know, what to do with that data and where to pick up on trends and where you can actually make actionable decisions based off of it. Um, and I, I, I do think that, um, you know, overlaying AI on top of these large swaths of data is probably, uh, you know, one of the ways that we're going to see, um, you know, companies move to, to make those decisions uh, and to kind of parse through these, you know, huge, this huge Absolutely. amount of data that they're, they're starting to get. Absolutely. I think it's, it's natural, right? based on a condition, right? Let the machine have some control, right? When certain conditions are met, do the following things. You know, it's brilliant, right? Um, You know, just imagine if, you know, a sensor on a toilet that had a one gallon per flush or one liter per flush um, setting 
suddenly recognized that three gallons of water had flown through that sensor in the last 30 seconds, indicating a potential leak, right? That sensor yeah. could shut itself off and alert maintenance yep. instead of letting the building flood, right? Until someone happened to stumble upon it. So um, there's obviously some things like that that can be done. And those things are being done today. I know there was a partner of ours who, um, who's in the utility management business who was able to uncover a clandestine car wash operation behind an apartment community. And they were using the water <laughs> out, of the, uh, out of the common area hose <laughs> to wash cars. And they found no it because way. they had metered. They had, they had put parallel metering in uh, for kind of consumption management and billing. But, you know, once you do that and you establish a baseline, then it's easy to find an anomaly. Yeah. Do you, do you think that they lead with that story and the sales pitch that they can, that you're able to utilize? The I think that, is, to, that story is part of their sales pitch. It's part of their yeah. sales pitch for sure. I don't know how uh, often you're going to find that, but I think, it's, right. I think the more valid story is the, you know, what's normal and then mm -hmm. what's not normal. And if something's not normal, let's, let's let the machine tell somebody. Like yep. we think the machine says, I'm sensing a condition that is beyond normal operating parameters. Let's go investigate, right? Simple, right? If you're in an apartment community or an office building, you've got people on site or people nearby who can get over there in the normal course of their duties and go, what is going on here? Right? Now, it might be like a movie trailer when they open the door and <laughs> they find a big surprise or, nope, false alarm, right? It, the 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 toilet's just running. I had to jiggle the handle and then I had to adjust something on the inside, right? Yeah, absolutely. So one thing that I have uh, always admired about MRI um, is uh, your partner Connect program. Um, and um, you guys seem to really believe in the benefits of, uh, you know, flexible and open architecture approach to, to software. Um, and your, you know, collaboration with uh, other companies, you know, really speaks to that. And what do you really see as like the main value for the real estate business of having that open architecture approach? So it's a, it's a great question. It's, it's what we, we are on earth to do at MRI software is to provide choice and flexibility while also providing comprehensive solutions. And the idea of choice and flexibility as it, comes from our partner program is that our clients, that all clients should be able to select and implement the softwares that they feel best enable their business. And if that means that they buy a little bit of MRI and a little bit of some of our partners and they want to put it all together because that's what their business requires, then absolutely that's what they should be allowed to do. And I choose my words carefully here like using the word allowed, right? So how easy do others make it to integrate third parties? I can tell you it's counterintuitive because as a software company, we're in business like everybody else is, right? We have our targets for revenue and earnings. And so it's, it's really counterintuitive to say, we should allow somebody else to sell our clients a product that we also have. But, if your product, if you're afraid to do that, you're basically afraid that your product doesn't stack up. Yeah. So 
it's up to you to, to make your, to not make, to incentivize or to make it so your clients pick your product because it's the best. And if it's not the best, by all means, they should have the right to use another one. And it should integrate and it should work seamlessly, just like, you know, one that was, you know, built in the same place would work. And um, that kind of flexibility in the, in the, the constant, I think there's a constant battle that's being waged. Um, and this is from back in early in my career to today, from the dawn of enterprise software to now, the old adage of integrated versus best of breed. And the, you know, the people who do integrated, the suite providers, they, they add to their suites. They acquire or they build new things and those suites get bigger. I joke it's like the Borg, right? And they think resistance is futile. But as the <laughs> Borg grows, as, as integration continues, innovation also continues. Somebody else, somewhere else, has a new idea for a new thing that you didn't think of. And eventually, yeah, you can assimilate everything, but I would, I would challenge how well you can innovate everything. And the value in the, the network that we have, the partnerships that we, we strike, the relationships and the ecosystem that we sponsor, the value in that comes from people who wake up every day and innovate in their space to do that one, two, three thing the best. And if we can net the best of it together, we think our clients, they win. And the analogy I often use for this is uh, the decathlete versus the specialist. So you can do the research. The folks online can look up who Ashton Eaton is, and you'll find that he's the two-time uh, Olympic gold medalist and current world record holder in the men's decathlon. You'll also find that if he competed in every individual event in the Olympics, he would not get a medal. So you can use a decathlon and be good in lots of areas, or you can choose specialists to enable every bit of your business how you need them to be enabled. And I think in the business world, we're all trying to win. We all want to have the best capabilities. And I think being open and connected and sponsoring this ecosystem of partners that we have um, gives us the ability to give our clients freedom to choose and to run their business how they want to run their business. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well said, Brian. Well, we're running up against the end of the time today. Um, but Brian, thank you so much. This has been a really fascinating conversation um, and appreciate you uh, joining our podcast. My pleasure. Happy to be here.